Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be, Where are you? Let's begin in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. In this chapter, we find the first ever human sin that was committed. This was the moment when humanity fell from their former perfect state into their current sinful state, and sin has been a part of our earthly lives ever since. Even after we became born again, we find that no matter how hard we try not to sin, we still fall short of the standard that God has set for us because of the fallen state of this world. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are no exemptions from sin. When Adam fell, sin entered the human condition, and sin became a part of human nature. Although we may sin considerably less from before we met Christ, there are still times that we sin. Even though it may be done intentionally, it still happens. Since sin is still a part of our lives here on earth, and will be until we get to heaven, we can't ignore humanity's sin problem. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10 through 10 say, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many try to make it seem like they have no sin, hiding behind a cloak of hyper-grace. But these are the two extremes, at opposite ends of the spectrum. No matter what anyone says, everyone sins, and every sin has an effect. Since this is the case, we have to get a better understanding of sin, and we have to get a better understanding of how God views it and how He responds to it. The first question that we need to ask ourselves is what exactly is sin? 
In 1 John 1 and 8, the word for sin in Greek means missing the mark, guilt, sin, a fault, failure in an ethical sense, sinful deed. The concordance goes on further to say that it means no share, no part of, loss, forfeiture, because of not hitting the target. This is the brand of sin that emphasizes its self-originated, self-empowered nature. It is not originated or empowered by God. It is not of faith, his inward persuasion. We know that in Greek, sin means to miss the mark. This is because sin is outside the will of God. It's not what he wills for us to do in that moment. It's something done against his will. When we sin, we are exerting our will above God's in that moment. We're exercising our free will, but not in the way that God would have us to do so. When we commit a sinful deed, we're acting on a thought that derives and originates from ourselves apart from God. And in the same way, we encourage and empower ourselves to act or think that way, completely apart from the influence of God. This means that we're leaving God out of our thinking process and not allowing him to influence our conduct. The problem has to do with the source. This is the type of sin that originates in us. We're the source. And this is exactly where the problem lies, because God's not the source. But it doesn't end here. It keeps going. When we start with ourselves as the source, this influences our motives. Lying behind every sinful action and thought is a wrong motive. There is a gray area when it comes to sin where people have a hard time discerning if a thing is sinful or not. An action may seem harmless in and of itself, but the motive by which it is being done can make it sinful. We can discern sin in most cases using motive. Many allow themselves to get caught up in this gray area, seeing its ambiguity as an opportunity for license. We can't allow ourselves to fall into this trap. If we have to ask if something is sinful, it most likely is. We're not asking this because we're unable to discern. We're asking because, in effect, we're looking for a loophole. We're looking for a roundabout way to justify what we know is wrong, but what we nevertheless desire to do. Instead of reanalyzing and changing our course of action and allowing our will to be conformed to the will of God, we make an excuse. An excuse is a lie, which reveals the wrong motive. This isn't a discernment failure, it's a motive failure. We need to be careful about motive because motive leads to thoughts, which then lead to actions. A lot of sinful actions could be prevented if we checked our motives before acting. If we constantly have to ask ourselves if things are sinful or not, then we're allowing ourselves to think and act out of a place of doubt, which is never good. We as the people of God are never to act out of doubt. We should always act out of faith. Our entire lives should be defined by faith. Romans chapter 14 verses 22 to 23 tell us, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing, which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We must be motivated by faith. This is how we can be sure that we are acting in the will of God. How can we know that we are doing what we're doing out of a place of faith? There are two questions that we can ask ourselves that will serve as good indicators as to if faith is our motive. Before we do something, anything at all, the first and most important question that we need to ask ourselves is, does it honor God? Then our next question needs to be, does it honor our conscience? If the answer to either of these or both of them is no, then we shouldn't proceed. At this point, we need to reevaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
God speaks to us many times through our conscience. The Holy Spirit will warn us inwardly to not do something that we shouldn't do. And on the other hand, he will also encourage us to do those things that we should do. We need to heed his instruction and follow it. Because when we do, it honors and glorifies him because we are doing his will. We were designed to glorify him. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As long as we are motivated by faith, doing things that honor God and honor our conscience, we will be glorifying God and doing things that are well-pleasing to Him. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God needs to be our source, and faith needs to be our motive, and this will then manifest in our thoughts and in our actions. The next thing that we need to look at is how God responds to sin. But in order to best understand this, we need to see how he responded to the first sin. Verse 9 of Genesis 3 tells us, And the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? This is the first thing that the Lord said after they sinned. Adam, where are you? This is an interesting response. Why would the God with perfect knowledge of all things past, present, and future, and the ability to see all things at all times, ask Adam and Eve where they are? The reason for this is because there is more to the question than what meets the eye. The word for Adam in Hebrew means man, mankind. God spoke this question to Adam one-on-one, but this question is not just addressed to him. It's addressed to all of us too. God is in effect asking, Mankind, where are you? None of us are exempt from this question. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The rightful penalty is death. This wasn't unknown to Adam. God made it clear to him. Genesis 2 and 17, in which God is speaking to Adam, says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God could have just killed them right there after they sinned and been perfectly justified in doing so. The fact that he didn't kill them that day may have even seemed to them to validate what the serpent said. Verse 4 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. God didn't kill them that day because he is a merciful God, a God of second chances. This was a foreshadowing of his mercy that he would then codify in the law and then fulfill in Christ when he ushered in the covenant of grace. He was being merciful to them. This is why he asked them, Where are you? He has the same initial response when we sin. He asks us, Where are you? Why would he ask us this? It's not just him being merciful to us. There's even more to it than that. When we sin, we're allowing ourselves to stray away from the will of God. We're stepping away from God's heart and mind. Many think that they have a better way of doing things using their own will, or that they'll have more enjoyment or more pleasure through their own will than when they're in God's. They become disjointed and misaligned from the will. And since we've walked away from God's will to follow our own, God first asks, where are you? It's similar to a child running away from home. Before a child has a good understanding of the real world and the dangers of it, he may be inclined to run away thinking that he could have a freer and a better and a more enjoyable life somewhere else. What he doesn't understand at that time is that he is forsaking the provision, security, safety, and love of home, leaving his parents who love him 
for the unknown world, and if he doesn't return home, he subjects himself to the cruel, heartless, cold world that lies outside his home. In that life, nothing except for hardship is guaranteed, and love becomes elusive. This is what we do every time that we sin. We run away from the provision, safety, and love of the Lord and His will, and we try to fend for ourselves outside of His will. But what we don't realize is that when we do this, we put ourselves on the road to destruction. We need to come home. When the Lord asks us where we are, we need to take the question seriously. We need to ask ourselves, are we where we're supposed to be? And are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we home or are we somewhere else? Let's go to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, beginning in the 11th verse, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. We find that the same thing happened here. He ran away. He left his father's house and all the benefits that came with it. His excursion went well for a season, but that season came to an end, and reality started to sink in. He didn't have any provision after the famine started. He had no job, nowhere to live, and nothing to eat. Nothing was guaranteed. He was all alone, faced with a hard reality. He was eating the food that the pigs ate in order to survive. He was left in dire circumstances. The prodigal son said in verse 17, I perish with hunger. This shows us the extent of his suffering. We even see that this suffering was the needless result of sin. And the prodigal son understood this. He said in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He sinned and he was going down the wrong road but he realized it. Verse 17 said, he came to himself. The NSAB version translates his phrase as he came to his senses. This isn't spoken about enough in churches today, but this is a crucial part of repentance. Repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry, because over time, this can become so automatic and mechanical that it loses its meaning. The first step of repentance needs to be what we've been studying here. We need to realize that we sinned and miss the mark. We need to have that moment of reflection and introspection when we realize that we're not home, we're not where we're supposed to be, and see that we need to come home to our Father's house 
and come back to his will so that we can enjoy him and all his benefits. When we decide to come home to God, he will welcome us back with open arms. He's our father and he loves us. He wants us to be home where he can provide for us and care for us and protect us the same as any parent in the natural wants for their child. Our sin, although the very thing that drives us away from God, when we realize and repent of it, can be the very thing that drives us to go back home. We have to allow God to turn something that was meant for evil into something good. We next need to look at verse 22, which says, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This is a very interesting verse because we find a very similar set of circumstances with Adam and Eve after they sinned. Genesis 3 and 21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Giving clothing represents a covering, the same way that Christ has covered us once and for all by his blood. God clothing them with skins was a foreshadowing of grace giving them what they didn't deserve. Even though we may try to take off our garment and run away, it's always right there where we left it. When we come back to him, he takes our filthy rags and he clothes us in righteousness instead. This is the same transaction that occurs every time that we sin and repent. Isaiah 64 and 6 tells us, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. When we give the Lord our filthy rags, He gives us His best robe, like the Father did to the prodigal son. Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Zechariah 3 and 4 says, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. This is the goodness of our God. He clothes us when we return, and he covers over our sin. The next thing that we need to look at is how man responded to sin. Genesis 3 and 10 says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. His response was fear. He was afraid. This is the first time that we see fear mentioned in Scripture, and it's the first time in human history that it was experienced. The result of sin was fear, and the bondage that comes with it. Adam's fear was beyond a fear of punishment. It was really a fear of dying, because he knew that that was the penalty of sin. Fear was his response, because for the first time, he hadn't acted in faith. Romans 14 and 23 said, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When he sinned, there was an absence of faith, because faith and sin cannot coexist together. Into that spiritual vacuum, fear comes in to fill the void. He could have avoided fear, but he didn't. And because of his failure to operate in faith, fear became a part of the human condition. The Lord never wants us to fear. Fear is never in His will. He always desires for us to operate in faith. It is through our faith that we triumph over fear. And it's our faith that enables us to do His will and to receive the promises that are in His will. As we saw earlier, sin meant to miss the mark. So the last question that we must ask ourselves is how do we hit the mark? Hebrews 6 and 15, referring to Abraham, says, 
And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For the word obtained in Greek, in the concordance, it means to hit the mark, to fall in with, to attain. We hit the mark when we do the will of God and obtain the promise through faith. We have to operate in faith if we are to hit the mark. We'll never hit it through fear, and we'll never hit it through sin. God will help us to hit the mark when we return to Him. All of the promises in the Word of God belong to us, and we will obtain them if we reach out in faith. The next time that we miss the mark in sin, we need to remember that God is asking us, Where are you? And we need to take a moment to reflect on what we're doing and why we're doing it. Then we can respond that we're coming home. When we return, he'll clothe us in righteousness and he'll enable us through his power to hit the mark. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of second chances, that you are a God of grace. We thank you that you not only don't give us what we deserve, but that you also give us what we don't deserve. Lord, we know that you are a good God. Lord, we know that there are many times when we miss the mark, when we step outside of your will, because we think that we can do it better on our own, or for many other reasons. But Lord, we repent of these times. We know our sin. We know our shortcomings. We know our failures. But Lord, we bring them today to you, and we lay them down before you, because Lord, we know that you are a God of forgiveness. Lord, help us to have a change of mind. Help us to change our course of action, so that we can realign ourselves with your will so that we can bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for our sin to be covered. And Lord, we thank you that when we bring these sins to you, and that you forgive them, that you will clothe us in a robe of righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that you have forever covered us by your blood. Lord, you are a good God, and we know that you have great things for your people, even though we miss the mark so many times. We know that through you, we can hit the mark. And it's through this that all these promises that are in your word that belong to us, can manifest in our lives. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to come home to Father's house and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you were now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.